Well, good morning to each one. Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. This morning, I invite you again to the book of Matthew. I want to continue with our study of the Beatitudes. Today, we will be looking at the third Beatitude in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, verse 4, that the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. Zephaniah 2, 3 says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek right righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And so in Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus says, blessed or happy are the meek, or happy are those who are of a quiet, gentle, and humble spirit. And so I have simply titled this message, Blessed are the Meek. The Nelson's Bible Dictionary defines meekness as an attitude of humility towards God and gentleness towards men, springing from a recognition that God is in control. I find it interesting that the New King James translation often uses the word gentleness in place of the word meekness, which I believe shows that the meanings of the two words are very similar. However, even though they are similar, I believe there is a distinct difference between the meanings of the two words. For example, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul begins one of his chapters with, Now I, Paul, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Think with me for a few minutes about the gentleness of Christ. The children's song brings out, uh, the children's song, Jesus went about doing good, brings out the thought of the gentleness of Christ. Jesus went about doing good, the Bible tells me so. He healed the sick, he healed the blind. To little children he was kind. He gave some hungry people food. He said to all, be kind and good. Jesus went about doing good. The Bible tells me so. What a beautiful word picture of the gentleness of Christ. But think with me now of the meekness of Christ. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. That is the meekness of Christ. And so do you see the difference between the meetings of the word meekness and the word gentleness? You know, 
this coming week, I want to show the gentleness of Christ. I want to show gentleness to my family, to my neighbors, to my customers, to my church family. And I believe this is all good. I believe this is a good desire. But what will my response be to him who strikes me on the one cheek? Will I offer the other also? And to the guy who takes away my cloak, will I give him my coat also? You see, that is meekness. Meekness is patience in the reception of injuries. Meekness is not meanness. Meanness, meekness is the opposite of sudden anger, of malice, of long harbored vengeance. Meekness is the reception of injuries with the belief that God will vindicate us. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I had to thank of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. You know, as the stones begin to fly, he prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, the Bible says he fell asleep. Meekness is simply responding like Jesus would respond. Jesus was the very model of meekness. It was one of his characteristics. Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus says, I am meek and lowly of heart. And today, Christ is calling you and I to come and learn of him. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. In our day, we hear a lot about stress. I'm stressed out. He or she is stressed out. For whatever reason, you fill in the blank. And because I'm stressed, or because you are stressed, it's okay if you or I respond in a way that is other than a meek and quiet spirit that the Bible says is so precious in the sight of God. And I ask you this morning, is God okay with that? Does God overlook sinful reactions because he knows we are stressed? This morning we looked in our Sunday school lesson, we looked at, uh, we were reading about Paul and, and his um, burden that he was under. But does God allow, is God okay with us responding in a sinful way because we are stressed. I'd like to turn to Numbers 20. I invite you to turn there. In this account in Numbers 20, we find a man that our modern world would say was stressed out. This is the account where Moses struck the rock when God had said to speak to it. Now, according to the modern Merriam-Webster dictionary, the first known use of the word stress was in 1545, not quite 500 years ago. So what Hebrew word was used to describe Moses' anxiety, we do not know. But what we must learn from this account is how God viewed his reaction to the stress that he was under. Let's start reading in Numbers 20 and we'll read through um, verse 13. 
Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. I'll make one comment. You know, we read over this quickly, but Miriam had just passed away. Miriam was the one that stood by to see what would happen to him when um, he was placed in that little basket. And so with death, there's a certain amount of anxiety. There's a certain amount of stress. And so that was the first thing that happened. Number two, verse two, now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And I'll make another comment, a lack of water causes anxiety. It causes a certain bit of stress. Those of us who lost our power just this weekend, we know what it's like not to have water. It's not convenient. Let's read on. And the people contended or argued with Moses and spoke saying, if only we have died when our brethren died before the Lord, which they knew better than that. They knew better than that. Now, look at verse 4 and 5. The, they start asking why, like a bunch of, like children. And by the way, I'm reading from the New King James. So verse 4, why have you brought us, why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place. It, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, Gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. God told Moses to take his rod in his hand and speak to the rock. He took the rock and he spoke, but it wasn't to the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock, he spoke to the people. It seems that Moses did not think that speaking would be sufficient. Apparently, Moses did not believe that God could perform such a miracle because he doesn't even acknowledge God. You know, he gathers the people, 
He brings them around, but he doesn't say anything about God. What he says, he says, must we, we, you know, myself and Aaron, bring for you water out of this rock? Now the Bible says in Numbers 12, verse 3, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And I found it interesting that the meaning of the word meek in this verse has a different thought than the meaning of the word that we find, or the meaning of meek that we find in Matthew 5, 5. In this verse here in Numbers 12, 3, the word meek has more the thought of depressed or afflicted. It does have the um, somewhat of the thought of humility, but it has more of the thought of depressed or afflicted. And keep in mind that Moses is writing this about himself. And so why was Moses depressed or afflicted? Adam Clark says because of the great burden he had to bear and care and government of this people. And because of their ingratitude and rebellion both against God and himself. But you know, however depressed or afflicted Moses may have been, God still held him accountable for his actions. Because you did not believe in me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. God wanted the glory in this miracle of abundant water. God wanted, to, God wanted to show himself strong to the people. Moses did not acknowledge God, but took the honor to himself and Aaron. Because of Moses' disobedience, Moses, along with Aaron, was not allowed to lead the people into the promised land. So what about you and I today? Are we learning of Christ and his meekness? Do we believe in God and his power? You know, when we respond to life's circumstances in a meek and quiet way, God receives glory. We make God look good. Now some would say that meekness is weakness. And although weakness and meekness may look similar, they are not the same. Weakness is due to negative circumstances, such as a lack of strength or a lack of courage. But meekness is due to a person's conscious choice. Meekness is absolute strength and courage under God's perfect control. And so may we learn from Moses, and may we learn that God holds us accountable even in times of stress. God is looking for a meek and gentle spirit. Let's go now to the book of James. I'd like to read some from the book of James. The book of James has some good practical pointers for building our meek character. Let's go to James 1, I'll read 19 through 27. I'm not gonna make many comments. The word is very plain, we'll let it speak for itself. But starting at verse 19 of James chapter one. Wherefore, my beloved brother, 
Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And now if you would turn over to chapter 3 of James, I'd like to begin reading at verse 13 and read through, let's see, through verse 18. James 3, 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. James is asking a question. He said, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Who is such a person? Who is it? And then he answers it with, that person is one that shows out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Keep that in mind. But if ye have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I find verse 18 interesting. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace to them that make peace. You know, the beatitude that we are looking at today is a direct quote from Psalm 3711. Psalm 3711 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And here James writes, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Meekness produces peace. Proverbs 15.1, a very simple verse. You probably learned it in Sunday school before you even remember. But a soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words 
stir up anger. Meekness produces peace. You know, whenever meekness is absent, whenever meekness is absent, be it in church life, family life, husband and wife relationships, you have what we see in verse 16 of James 3. And I like how the New King James says it. James 3.16, it says, For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. That's a picture of meekness being absent. You know, meekness is like the oil in a gearbox. When oil is absent, absent in a gearbox, there is heat, there's friction, there's wear, there's fatigue. In fact, if a gearbox runs long enough without any oil, the whole thing will eventually fly apart. And so, meekness is that oil that produces peace. And you know, this morning, if we're struggling in our relationships, and I say this to myself as much as I say it to you, but you may want to check the oil in the gearbox. <laughs> Maybe it's a little bit low. The oil of meekness. All right. The Apostle Paul, in his writings, encouraged meekness. And I'd like to just read some of his writings. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. You're welcome to write the references down and read them later at home. But Paul, he wrote a lot about the importance of meekness in relationships. And Ephesians 4, 1 through 1 and 2, here he's writing from prison. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. And also verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so there we have meekness, and here we have the bond of peace mentioned together. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Titus 3.2, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawler, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And then Colossians 3, 12 and 13, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye the importance of meekness in our relationships. I'd like to think now for a few minutes about the promise. We looked at meekness, the importance of it, how we should be meek, learning of Christ in our relationships. Let's think now for a few minutes about the promise, for they shall inherit the earth or they shall inherit the land. Is this a promise of wealth, property, 
land, houses. When Jesus, what is Jesus saying when he says, for they shall inherit the earth? Now, Jesus is speaking to a group of people that are under the old covenant. This group of Jewish people would have understood the promise of an inheritance of land. Abraham, their father, was promised an inheritance of land, which was real earthly property. The children of Israel were promised an inheritance of land. We know about that and how they spent 40 years in the wilderness and so forth in the land of uh, Canaan. We're very familiar with that. Again, this was real property that they were looking forward to. I also learned in my study that among the Jews, the expression to inherit the earth was used figuratively. We find the phrase to inherit the earth used many times throughout the Old Testament in a figuratively in a figurative manner. The Old Testament writers used this phrase to bring out the thought of great blessing. And if you would, turn to Psalm 37. I just, I would like to look at several examples of this. Uh, we could actually, we could spend the next 30 minutes just turning to references that speak of inheriting the land or inheriting the earth. And if you look at those references, you can see that it wasn't so much physical property as a great blessing. And so let's, let's look at four of them in Psalm 37. Psalm 37, 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, the blessing is that they shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. And then verse 22. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off verse 34 wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off thou shalt see it the Jewish people that were gathered around Jesus when he uh, gave this beautiful sermon they understood that Jesus was not necessarily speaking of inheriting lots of wealth, but a promise of an inheritance of great blessing. And so the question we may ask, is this promise of great blessing only a temporary blessing that we would experience here on this earth? Well, I believe there are many earthly blessings for those that live in a meek and quiet way, a meek and gentle way. For an example, I encourage you, if you want to take this sermon a little farther, uh, Proverbs 15. It's a, it's a beautiful chapter, and it brings out the, um, the blessings that come if we live with a meek and quiet spirit, with that response in life. A spirit of meekness will keep us out of so much trouble. You know, many of life's personal regrets could be avoided if we had only responded in a meek and quiet way. I can relate to that, and maybe you can as well. 
However, I believe there is more here in this promise than just a present blessing. Jesus is teaching us what we must do to be received into his kingdom. You know, the way of meekness is the way to heaven. And so in this blessing, I believe we see a twofold promise. We can enjoy the earthly blessings and we can look forward to the glories of the heavenly Canaan hereafter. You know, to know and live the meekness of Christ is true freedom. I come back to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I read these verses at the beginning, but I'll read them again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And then the last part of that verse says, against such there is no law. You know, there's freedom in the fruit of the spirits. There's, there's freedom in living out the fruit of the spirit. And meekness is certainly one of them. Well, in closing, the prophet Zephaniah cried out, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye sh shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. And as I thought about Zephaniah and his cry, it reminded me of the Apostle Peter and his writings. And I would like to close uh, by reading from 2 Peter 3. I'd like to read 11 through 18. You know, Zephaniah, his cry was to seek meekness. And 1 Peter, he writes that we should be diligent, that we may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. So keep that in mind as I read 2 Peter, as you think of Zephaniah's cry in his day, and then 2 Peter and Peter and his writings. And as we think of the time in which we live, uh, let's let these verses speak to us. 2 Peter 3.11 Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Notice verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, 
as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We'll call for a closing song. <clears throat>